All right, I won't put any of you on the spot to admit that you have any weaknesses. But for myself, uh, I will admit uh, that there is no way that I could have done what Jesus did in this morning's story. Um, first of all, it, I need to change this. It, feels, it dropped and it feels like I have a catheter. <laughs> and I want to make sure it's on. I don't think it's on for... Oh, it's not working right now. Um, we'll have to figure this out later. Um, but there's no way I could have done uh, what Jesus did in this morning's story. First of all, it's just the whole issue of food. 40 days without food, 40 hours would be tough enough. I mean, there are sometimes when 40 minutes without food can be difficult. And then there are the temptations themselves. It's interesting. There are re, uh, uh, quite a few different ways that the, the temptations are characterized. Um, there are some people who view each temptation as kind of its own separate thing, entirely physical, psychological, spiritual temptation. There are some people that just believe that they all... Uh, have the same uh, essence, one single essence of temptation, and it's just three different approaches for that same um, sin or that same mistake. Um, I would say that the answer to this question about what type of temptation, what's at the, the root of the temptations is that it's all of that. Uh, together, that there's so much about these temptations that uh, can be sort of viewed in a, in a big picture and can also be viewed in isolation. They seek to break the foundational relationship that Jesus has in trusting God, the Father, God the Mother, but they seek to do that in multiple different ways at multiple different levels. So even if I had been well-fed and well-rested, I don't think that I'd have had either the will or the wits to have persisted to do the right thing through these assaults the way that Jesus did. So then on top of all that about just this one story for this morning, William Barclay brings up another additional humbling point. Barclay writes, we must not think that in one campaign, Jesus forever conquered the tempter and that the tempter never came to Jesus again. We know that the tempter spoke again to Jesus at Caesarea Philippi when Peter tried to dissuade Jesus from taking the way to the cross. And never in all history was there such a fight with temptation as Jesus waged in Gethsemane when the tempter sought to deflect him from the cross. Barclay writes, from beginning to end, Jesus had to fight this battle. With all that in mind, I will readily admit that I could not do what Jesus did. 
But then again, I don't think that we're meant to read this story and think to ourselves that we could have done what Jesus did or that we should think that we could have done that. As human beings, we are unable to live perfectly the life that God calls us to live, to always do the right thing. The point of this morning's story is, to give us, is not to give us a how-to guide to follow on our own. Rather, the point of this story is to reveal that the guide whom we follow has already lived the life that God calls us to live. Our strength to persist in doing what is right arises from trusting in Christ, not in ourselves. I think Malcolm Geit, uh, an English poet, captures the point as well as anyone, and this is actually just sort of commentary on these, um, these different temptations that Jesus goes through. Malcolm Geit writes, uh, we have to bear in mind two essential but easily forgotten truths. The first is that because Jesus is both fully human and fully God, there is always a double aspect to each of these temptations. On the one hand, Jesus experiences them exactly as we do, in a fully human way, feeling their full force and yet showing us both that it is possible not to give in to them and also the way to overcome them. However, at the same time, he is God. And his action in defeating the devil, in resisting the temptation, casting back the tempter, and creating and holding a space in which right action is possible, is done not just privately on his own behalf, but with and for all of us. So that there's the human aspect in which he resists, but his presence as God and his uh, action as God actually gives us a space in which to enter into his resistance of these things. And again, as I said, and we'll talk about later, forgiveness when we fail. As human beings, we simply don't have the fullness of strength and character to always do the right thing. But with Christ, we receive grace in two significant ways. His presence by the Holy Spirit gives us strength and wisdom to do what is right in many situations. And again, the forgiveness when we don't. Paul captures this big picture perspective in that Greek New Testament passage that we read from Romans. And I won't read all of that again, but towards the end particularly, it's important. Consequently, just as the result of Adam's sin 
has, was condemnation for all human beings, men and women, so also the result of one act of righteousness, the fullness of Jesus' life in obedience to God, was justi- justification that brings, all, brings life for all men and women. For just as through the disobedience of one, the many were made sinners, so also, but even more so, as he had written earlier, the obedience of the one Jesus, through that, the many will be made righteous. Our, our salvation, when it comes to the whole issue of temptation and sin, our salvation comes from what Jesus has already done, not what we do or don't do. The irony then is that any strength that we have for persisting in doing what is right comes from admitting our weakness. Jesus himself was able to persist because he trusted that God's ways would prove to be the best ways. Like I was saying with the kid, each temptation that Jesus faced was to either do something that could be used for good, like making bread or um, gaining influence over the whole world. It was either a, a temptation to do something that could be used for good or to prove something true about God's goodness. Throw yourself down and God will catch you and protect you because God has has promised to protect those whom God loves. But the means to reveal the good or the true would have tainted the end result. And so it would not have been the fullness of truth and goodness. Again, I like the way Malcolm Geit explains some of this. He writes, if Jesus were simply set before me as an example of heroic human achievement, I would despair. His very success in resisting temptation would just make me feel worse about my failure. But he's not only my exemplar, he's my savior. He's the one who takes my place and stands in for me. And in the mystery of redemption, he acts for me and makes up in his resistance to evil what is lacking in mine. All good thing, or excuse me, um, the devil is a shadow himself. And all he can do is cast shadows of God's substantial good. All good things come from God. And those things that the devil pretends to offer, but in the wrong way or for the wrong reasons, are cheap imitations of the very gifts that God does indeed offer and that Jesus himself receives enjoys, and critically shares. Jesus refuses to turn stones into bread for himself at the devil's behest, but later in the same wilderness, 
He takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and feeds 5,000 people with all they want. And 12 basketfuls are left over. That was the substantial good from God in light of which and to gain which it was necessary to refuse the shadowy substance. So again, like I was saying with the kids, so much of the temptations, uh, the temptation that we face in this world is actually to do things uh, that appear good or could be good, but we just aren't necessarily going about them the right way. Jesus persisted in doing what was right because he trusted that God's ways would eventually bring the fullness of goodness and truth. Our strength for being able to persist in doing what is right comes from trusting that following Christ will result in that same fullness of good. And acknowledging to ourselves that without Jesus, most of us won't always have the wits or the will to know what is right and do it on our own. So this week, uh, as I was thinking about Jesus's wisdom and willpower to resist temptations, I was th- trying to think of other examples of um, this type of, again, persistence in doing what is right. And one of the examples that came to mind was from that stretch of time early in the Trump presidency, when that phrase was going around, nevertheless, she persisted. And I, re- I remembered, I mean, I remembered the phrase vividly, and, and that's why I've been using it in the title and throwing it, the persistence in here and there. Um, And I remembered that it vaguely had something to do with Mitch McConnell thinking he was like demeaning some female politician um, whom he couldn't silence uh, about a particular issue. But I couldn't quite remember the exact specifics. And so I looked it up. And many of you probably already remembered this. But McConnell was complaining about Elizabeth Warren, who had been... uh, condemning the, um, the putting forward of Jeff Sessions for attorney general. And she said she would not uh, approve him for that position. And McConnell wanted her to, to just basically shut up and do what she was told. But in McConnell's, nevertheless, she persisted which then became a rallying point for resistance, nevertheless persist. And we know now how prescient she was in resisting. It would be wonderful (laughs) if right now we had a lot more politicians uh, and people in government, especially who would persist in doing the right thing. And sadly, many of those who profess to follow Jesus are the ones who have completely given in to the way of power and greed uh, and the ways of the world. Of all people, 
those who follow Christ should know that the root of persistence in doing what is right is in Christ, both trusting that the way of Christ, even though different than the world, often slower than the world, often far more difficult than the ways of the world, it, nevertheless, the way of Christ will lead to the fullness of goodness and truth. And that the presence of Christ empowers us to persist in doing those things. And the grace of Christ forgives us even when we fail. We can't do what Jesus did alone. But we're not alone. We have Christ. Thanks be to God.